Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is. And you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. current buzzword in the animal nutrition world is bioavailability. Getting the animal to utilize the trace minerals supplemented in their ration is key to the performance and health benefits that come with it. Today, we will learn more about what makes certain products more bioavailable. I'm joined today by Dr. Josh Steed. Josh, Share with us your education, the role you play at Micronutrients, and how long you've been with the company. Hey, John. Happy to be here. Uh, So I graduated from University of Georgia with a PhD in nutrition and physiology. I've been with uh, Micronutrients for just over seven months now, and I'm responsible for our U.S. poultry research program and providing technical support to our customers. Let's start off with some basics. Trace minerals like zinc, copper, and manganese are absolutely essential to life. How are trace minerals supplied to animal diets, and how does the animal utilize what's in the diet for productive and healthy growth? Yeah, so you're correct. Uh, Trace minerals like zinc and copper and manganese, they're absolutely essential to life, and life has evolved over billions of years. Uh, to use these minerals as structural and catalytic cofactors in enzyme systems. So the enzymes, they're the protein workers uh, that help build and maintain all life as we know it. So because of their uh, essentiality, minerals must be supplied to the animal via the diet. So a common practice is to blend the six trace minerals, which would be copper, zinc, manganese, iron, selenium, and iodine. Uh, and blend those into a premixed concentrate. So uh, there's several large companies in the U.S. that their primary business is just blending and supplying these premixes. Animal producers, they'll, they'll buy these premixed concentrates and formulate them into diets uh, anywhere between one to two pounds per ton. And so all of these six minerals are only going to represent 0.05 to 0.1% of the total diet. And so the animal, they're going to eat these fortified diets Digestion is going to begin. Uh, Once we have this ingestion of feed, it's broken down through the gizzard and the stomach, uh, enters the small intestine, where specialized mineral transporters on the lining of the small intestine, they begin to pull that metal atom from uh, from the soup of digestion, if you will, into the animal. And so what you've got to remember as well is the inside of the small intestine is still considered outside the animal. And so these transporters They'll act as de facto gatekeepers. They're highly regulated to maintain overall homeostasis. And because these transporters have been perfected over billions of years at micronutrients, we do believe that the primary job of a mineral source is to deliver that mineral atom to these transporters. And after that, there's a number of intricate homeostatic mechanisms that go into controlling how and where that mineral is going to end up. 
So when discussing trace mineral nutrition, the phrase that tends to get brought up the most is source bioavailability. Josh, can you break the term bioavailability down for us? And what is it? Why it's important? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so bioavailability, it's a very common term that we use in mineral nutrition. It's a relative judge between mineral sources. Uh, so source bioavailability is determined by feeding a trace mineral source at increasing concentrations below the requirement of the animal. So what we'll do is we'll feed below the requirement, make sure that those homeostatic mechanisms by the animal are trying to maximize mineral absorption. And what we want to do is we want to keep all those gatekeepers that we just talked about wide open. So generally, there's uh, several mineral sources that are compared with one that's denoted as the standard. Uh, and that one's going to be set to 100% relative bioavailability. Uh, and so these are typically inorganic sulfate minerals like zinc sulfate. Uh, and the animals are going to be fed different amounts of each trace mineral source. Remember, it's still below the requirements. And there'll be a response variable that's affected by minerals that we'll use to measure. So take zinc, for example. Uh, for zinc, the most common response variable measured is tibia zinc levels. Uh, and so generally, the better the source of the trace mineral, the more mineral you're going to see in the response variable relative to the standard source. So relative bioavailability is a great way to measure how well a source delivers the minerals to the site of absorption and into the animal body. Well, are there any common misconceptions around the term bioavailability and how it's used? Yeah, John. So, I mean, there are two main misconceptions about relative bioavailability. RBV, as we uh, shorthanded, should only be used to judge mineral source quality against other mineral sources. So the first misconception is that RBV can be used when formulating diets. Relative bioavailability is, is not digestibility. Mineral nutrition is it's too dependent on homeostatic mechanisms to use digestibility values to assess source quality. So for example, say a nutritionist is switching from zinc sulfate, which um, in our earlier example, that was 100% uh, relative bioavailability to a source, we'll say 200% relative bioavailability. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can use half as much of the product with two times the relative bioavailability. Uh, remember, RBV is properly determined in mineral deficient diets that do not resemble practical industry diets. And so RBV score is relative to the standard source used in that very specific diet. So really, RBV's value, it's going to tell you how much better a source is relative to another source in mineral deficient diets. And it's still valuable information, but it shouldn't be used directly in formulation. And I'd say the other misconception is that you always want to use a mineral source with a better RBV. Um, and so when feeding levels above the requirement, sometimes it's actually better to use mineral sources with lower bioavailabilities. An example of this would be looking at the egg industry the zinc oxide and nursery pig diets. So in that industry, very common supplement up to 20 times the requirement of zinc in the form of zinc oxide to these nursery pigs to effectively try and reduce diarrhea. And so the most popular form of this zinc oxide that's used it actually has the lowest relative bioavailability. And this is because producers, they want that zinc to stay in the gastrointestinal tract, don't want it to be absorbed by the animal. And if it was a higher RBV, uh, at those levels, you'd be worried about toxicity signs manifesting themselves with a higher bioavailable source. Well, we know that there are many trace mineral sources on the market, all with different properties. 
Can you name a few of the most common mineral sources that are used in the poultry industry? Uh, what do you think is the most important factor that influences the bioavailability between these particular mineral sources? Yeah, so John, uh, there are many different types of trace mineral sources. A mineral source is going to be comprised of a metal atom and some sort of bonded carrier molecule called a ligand. And for the sake of simplicity, these sources are commonly distilled down into whether that ligand is inorganic or an organic molecule. So while this classification is uh, somewhat helpful, it's much too broad for practical decision making. So for us, the most important factor that influences mineral bioavailability of a mineral source is how that ligand holds onto the trace mineral you know, via its bond to that mineral. And so organic sources, they vary widely and have ligands that are either specific amino acids, groups of amino acids that are called peptides, sugars, acids, or even hydroxyl analogs. And so conversely, uh, when we're looking at inorganic sources, these can be any mineral source that has an inorganic ligand, which could be uh, oxides or sulfates, and then the class of hydroxychlorides. And because of the relative high price of organic sources, uh, inorganic sources like sulfates and oxides and hydroxychlorides, they definitely dominate the U.S. trace mineral market for uh, the minerals, zinc and copper and manganese. So pulling it back and going back to how the ligands hold on to the trace mineral with regards to its impact on relative bioavailability, the way a ligand holds on to uh, trace mineral by its chemical bonds. So going back to how the ligand on the trace mineral with regards to its impact on relative bioavailability. The way a ligand holds on to a trace mineral is by its chemical bonds. Bonding characteristics and strength should be the best way to determine mineral source quality. Generally speaking, organic mineral sources have strong covalent bonds, which is making them a good mineral source, while those traditional inorganics like sulfate trace minerals, they have weak ionic bonds. However, novel inorganic sources like that class, the hydroxychlorides, have the same strong covalent bonds as organics but are classified as inorganics. Oxides are a little different, and actually they have two very strong covalent bonds. So if we take zinc as our example again, um, with, with zinc oxide, this means very low bioavailability, but for copper or iron in this oxide form, that can mean zero bioavailability because the double bond is just so strong. Do organic trace minerals have better bioavailability than inorganic trace minerals? Yeah, so I mean, uh, generally speaking, the best organic trace minerals, they'll have a better RBV compared to sulfate and oxide inorganic trace minerals. However, with the advent of inorganic hydroxychloride trace minerals uh, that have similar properties to organic trace minerals, this broad statement becomes much less accurate. Uh, this is because inorganic hydroxychlorides have similar, if not better, RBV values compared with different organic trace mineral sources. And that demonstrates that bonding type is a superior way to classify trace mineral sources versus just trying to separate them out on whether they're organic or not organic. When we think of micronutrients, many folks think IntelliBond and the tagline smart minerals, smart nutrition. Why does micronutrients refer to IntelliBond minerals as smart minerals? And how can the properties of IntelliBond improve animal nutrition? So we classify IntelliBond hydroxychlorides as smart minerals because they're the best of both worlds. 
Like the best organic sources, Intellibon has the strong bonds that smartly protect and deliver the mineral to the transporter gatekeepers in the small intestine. And then like the inorganics, Telebon doesn't require expensive organic feedstocks that make organic mineral sources too expensive to fully replace sulfates and oxides. And Telebon minerals, they offer the best properties at a price point that allows for full replacement of those less bioavailable sulfates and oxides. Now, it's no secret that supplementing trace minerals is not only important, but absolutely required. So how does feeding more bioavailable IntelliBond ensure optimal absorption? So the more bioavailable the mineral source, the more flexibility the animal has when trying to meet its mineral requirements. Uh, This includes the ability to safely feed lower levels of minerals while still maximizing performance. Depending on a litany of factors, including age and health status and animal's mineral requirement, they can vary widely. So in the past, uh, it was very common to feed high levels uh, for zinc, as an example, 100 to 120 parts per million uh, as insurance to make sure the mineral requirement of animals was met uh, under all circumstances. However, producers typically choose one of the cheapest inorganic sources like sulfates to be economically viable. Unfortunately, feeding high levels of less bioavailable sulfate minerals has negative consequences. For example, like antagonizing expensive nutrients like phosphorus and cysteine, and that results in less minerals being absorbed, you get worse performance, uh, and more minerals then are excreted out into the environment. With Intellibon's beneficial properties and better bioavailability, uh, we typically recommend feeding about 30% less than the breeder recommendations to maintain performance. And so this greatly lowers the chance for negative nutrients Uh, antagonisms, and uh, definitely decreases the amount of minerals excreted into the environment. Josh, is there any last thoughts uh, you want our listeners to hear regarding the use of Intellibond? Yeah, so Intellibond minerals, they're the best of both worlds. They have a strong covalent bond similar to the best organics, which is going to maximize bioavailability while not requiring the feedstock that makes organic sources so expensive. And so therefore, uh, Intellibon Minerals, they have their strong bonds. They perform like the best organic trace mineral sources out there. Uh, They do it at roughly a third of the cost. Livestock and poultry producers know that what they put in their feed needs to be absorbed for optimal effect. By having a higher bioavailability, the animal can better utilize the nutrition to optimize growth and maintain a good health status. I want to thank Josh from Micronutrients and encourage our listeners to tune in next week to see what's on tap in animal agriculture.